You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. We're in part four of a series called the, called the Five, and we're looking at the five solas of the church. And these are five core doctrines of the Protestant church when it split off from the Catholic church during the Reformation. And so week by week, we've been going through each of the individual solas. And sola means alone, and you'll find out why in just a moment. But uh, week one, we talked about sola gratia, which is grace alone. Week two was sola fide, which is faith alone. Week three, last weekend, we talked about solus Christus, which is Christ alone. This week, we're looking at sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. And then next week, we'll finish the series off with soli deo gloria, which is the glory of God alone. And these five statements are so important because it's foundational and it's some basic stuff, but hopefully it's a good reminder for us what we do and why we believe what we believe. And so if you need help remembering this, uh, we've been using this statement week after week, but it's that Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Now, the Bible is 66 books in the Protestant Bible. It's 66 books that are so much more than a guide or stories. We believe that this is what is our North Star for faith, doctrine, and practice. Um, Sola Scriptura, scripture alone, acknowledges the fact that the Bible is, number one, the Word of God. It is inerrant. That means it is without error. It is sufficient, and it is it is the source of all truth for us. Um, and this is how we approach the Bible, and this is why we approach the Bible like we do, as we're going to see today. Um, here's what I need you to know as we're walking through some other other faiths, other religions, and their holy books. Um, if the Bible is true then any claim in conflict with what it says is false. Not just other holy books, but our feelings. If my feeling is in conflict with the Bible, then my feeling is wrong. And this is, we live in a world that says your feelings are supreme. If my political ideology, if my anything at all, no matter what it is, anything that comes into conflict with what the Bible says, it must be false if the Bible is true. So let's just take a look at a couple of other world religions. Uh, Buddhism. So in Buddhism, there is no single holy book. Um, This is in alignment with their belief on on God. They don't believe there is a supreme being, the creator of all things. And there are a number of holy texts, but there there is no holy book like the Bible that we have in Christianity. Hinduism is kind of the same way. So if you remember last week, we talked about Hinduism, how there are a number of gods and there's one God who kind of is over the rest, but you can kind of worship whatever God you want. Uh, And this is why so many Hindus are open to Jesus because they just slot him in. He's just something else they believe. When it comes to their holy books, it's kind of the same way. There's a book called the Veda, which is the... uh, they're, they're kind of supreme holy book, but there's lots of holy books that they will read, that they will, will glean from. When you look at Eastern religions in general or even New Age religions, it's really interesting because what they will do is they will, 
say that the Bible is uh, flawed and it is in error and all kinds of things, but they will cherry pick things out of scripture that will support what they believe or what they want. And this isn't just new age. This is Christians do the same thing as well. I talk to Christians all the time who will embrace parts of scripture, but then they will denigrate other parts of it, or they will live their lives according to this, but then they will totally overlook this. Um, they wouldn't think about having a beer, but they will gossip and, right? So what are they doing? Well, they're picking the parts they like and they're ignoring the parts they don't like. It's the same way in lots of other religions. In, in Islam, the Quran actually refutes the scripture, the Bible as a holy book, but it actually affirms part of it as well. So you actually see sections of the Bible that are used in the Quran. Um, and it's interesting because we've talked about John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is announcing to his disciples that he's going on. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. And in John 14, 15, and 16, he talks about the comforter and the advocate coming. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But in Islam, they will say that he's actually talking about the prophet Muhammad. That, so Muhammad will be like, yeah, that was me that he was talking about. Of course, that makes sense, Right. And so there are pieces of scripture that are used in the Quran um, that have been co-opted uh, for, for their purposes. It's interesting because Judaism and uh, the Protestant Old Testament are the same. So in Judaism, the Hebrew Bible is the same as the Protestant Old Testament. Now, the, the Protestant Old Testament has 39 books uh, and the Hebrew Bible only has 24. And the reason um, for the difference is numeric. So instead of having first and second Samuel, they just have Samuel. Um, so they condense down, but the content is the same. Now they don't have a New Testament because they're not big fans of Jesus. And so the New Testament is mostly Jesus. So their Bible is just the Protestant Old Testament and that's it. Um, let me go on. There's a couple that we haven't talked about over the last few weeks, but I wanted to mention here today. Uh, the first is Jehovah's Witness. And with Jehovah's Witness, they've actually written their own translation of Scripture. It's called the New World Translation. And if you look at your Bible app that you have on your phone, some of you use that, uh, or if you get on, on uh, the internet and you'll find websites that have lots of different Bible translations, you typically will not find the New World Translation in those because most Orthodox Christians will, will disregard the New World Translation as false because of how the Jehovah's Witness translated it and what they did. So what, one of the things they did is they don't believe in the deity of Jesus. They don't believe Jesus is God incarnate for us. They will say he's the son of God, um, but they mean he's the son of God in the same way that I'm the son of God. So he, 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 is not, he is not divine in his nature. He was just a really good man who happened to be a savior. So this is just the tip of the iceberg for this, but they, they have muted the new world translation of any trace that Jesus is who he said he was. And also what they do is they insert the word Jehovah throughout the New Testament in different places that it was not used in the original manuscripts. And part of that was, again, to rob Jesus of his, of his deity and to ultimately um, push the narrative of the Jehovah's Witness. We also have the Mormons. Now, they don't like being called Mormons. They, they're the Latter-day Saints. 
but they're always going to be Mormons to me. So Mormons, um, they have the Book of Mormon. This is their most their most well-known holy book, but they actually have four books that they've canonized as holy. Uh, but the Book of Mormon is their most notable. To make a long story short, uh, the Book of Mormon allegedly was given on golden plates to the prophet Joseph Smith. Uh, he translated that into the Book of Mormon. And then uh, when he was asked about wanting to inspect the golden plates, he said he didn't have them because he gave them to the angel Moroni to take back to heaven. So the Mormon church will claim that they have some witnesses to this account, but it is sketchy at best. Um, and this is, a, this is a, a, a key indicator of what a cult might look like. Uh, and just for the record, I want to say this as gently and lovingly as I can. Uh, some of the nicest, kindest, warmest most friendly people I've ever met in my life were Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. They are wonderful people, but they are deeply deceived. And both of these churches would call themselves Christian, but, but they are not. They are cults. And what we see with both to some degree, but especially with the Mormon church, is the, they have this, this divine message that was given to Joseph Smith, and he disseminates it. And he tells them what to believe and what to do. He's written down what their truth is. And then he gets people on board. And this is, I mean, this is lock, stock, and barrel what a cult is. Um, this is one of the reasons why there aren't windows on the, the Jehovah's Witness churches. Uh, because they don't want people to see what's going on inside. Same thing with a lot of Mormon churches. You don't, they don't have windows because they don't want people to see what's going on. And cults are secretive and they don't want the outside people scrutinizing what they believe or what they say. And this is one of the reasons why Jehovah's Witness and Mormons will say, we are Christians. But when you start delving into their faith and their beliefs, it is, it is very, very different than what our Bible says, what the Protestant Bible says um, is true. So when you have one person who's given revelation and they disseminate that to everyone else, that's a problem. Um, let me move on. Our friends at the Catholic Church, um, we share the New Testament. Protestants and Catholics have the same New Testament, but we deviate on the Old Testament. Uh, Protestants have 39 books in the Old Testament. The Catholics add a few to that. They have the book of Tobit, Judith, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, First uh, and Second Maccabees, and then also they have additions to the Book of Daniel and Esther that we don't have in the Protestant in the Protestant Old Testament. Now th these books were included in the uh, Greek translation of of a different Hebrew canon, and a lot of early church fathers would use uh, they would reference some of these books that for us are extra biblical. Um, and so when the Protestant church split off from the Catholic church, it reverted back to the original Hebrew canon instead of, instead of following the, the, the Catholic canon of, um, of, of scripture. So that's why there's a difference in these two, in these two, um, in these two books, in these two canons. And what we see is the Catholic church actually wrestled with this back and forth. And they decided in 1546 that the Council of Trent to maintain the canon that they currently had. And that's why there's a difference between the Protestant Old Testament and the uh, Catholic Old Testament. 
And while we're on the topic of Catholicism, let me mention this to you as well. I've had this conversation with a few people in our lobby. Uh, the Catholic view of scripture is different than the Protestant view of scripture. So Catholics would not affirm uh, scripture, uh, scripture alone as a doctrine for them. Um, and, and the reason is because they believe in ongoing revelation. And they believe that at any time the, the Pope can receive a new revelation from God and it is held in equal weight as the scripture. So if, if the Pope receives a, a, new tr- a new revelation, he shares that. And that's why there's doctrine for us that seems weird because it's, it's extra biblical, but the Catholic church believes in ongoing revelation. So they can say, hey, the Pope has received this and that's why we're gonna do this. Well, that's not in the Bible. And they go, okay, that's fine because the Bible isn't everything. It's not, they wouldn't say it this way, but it's not sufficient. For, for Protestants, we would look at this and say, the Bible is all we need. Now, here's the thing. We believe that God can give us revelation. God works in us, speaks to us. God can speak to me, and, 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 and hopefully he does regularly, right? But when he speaks to me, needs to line up with the word of God. It's not going to contradict the word of God. I've had people sit in my office and say, Mel, I'm divorcing my wife. Why are you divorcing your wife? God told me to. God told you to divorce your wife? Do you have a reason, like a biblical reason to divorce your wife? Well, no. Are you, is she cheating on you? No. Is she abusive? No. Then why are you, to, well, God told me to. Well, God's not going to say something that contradicts his word. Does that make sense? If it's in the Bible, that is, that is everything. That's our standard. And so, so we do believe that God speaks to us, but we don't believe that what he speaks to us should be held in equal weight as a scripture unless it is lined up with scripture. So let me come back to to our faith. Unlike other world religions, Christianity hinges on an actual event that happened historically. And if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then Christianity, it must be true. There have been 25,000 archeological digs related directly to the subject of uh, the Bible or topics that it covers and not one has contradicted the Bible. The overwhelming majority have confirmed and affirmed what the Bible says, historically. Archeology span has actually been disastrous for other world religions because as they discover more, they find out, no, there are things that are not in alignment with what a religion claims. One of the interesting things about Jesus is um, there were 10 non-Christian authors who wrote about Jesus within 150 years of his life. And this is significant um, because the closer you get to an event, the more seemingly reliable the witnesses are. So you don't want, you don't want writers writing 2,000 years after the fact because if it's 150 years, it's connected to eyewitness events to some degree or another. So there were 10 non-Christian writers. And some of these non-Christians were combative to the gospel. They not only weren't Christians, they hated Christians. Uh, some of them were, were kind of in between. Um, they, they weren't pro, they weren't against, but at the end of the day, there were 10 that were non-Christian. And these authors historically have agreed on these things. This is what they said, that Jesus lived a moral life He performed miracles. He was crucified. Darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. They didn't say he was the Messiah, but they say people believed him to be the Messiah. 
His followers believed he rose from the dead. His followers were willing to die specifically for their belief that he rose from the dead. Now, this is huge. I don't know about you. Um, I, I have lied to get stuff before. Now, don't look at me like that. You're all judging me. You have two. You know it. I've lied to get stuff before, but I've never lied to get punished. Has anybody ever lied about, yeah, I was out too late. Well, you're going to get grounded. Okay. And you weren't, you were, you're actually home the whole time. No, you wouldn't do that. They're like, I did it. I killed that man. And they're like, well, you're going to go on death row. And you're like, I'm willing to do that. No. You'd be like, no, I need you to know the truth. And here's the thing. If these men were lying about what they had experienced and what they saw, then the moment that they started being boiled in oil, you would think somebody would speak up, right? Well, when they, when they were crucified upside down, you'd think somebody would speak up and go, you know what? I wanna recant what I said, but none of them did. When they're being burned alive, you'd think somebody would say, hey, can I take that back? But they didn't because they had a deep conviction about what they believed. They also agreed that his followers denied that Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. They didn't just worship him, they worshiped him as God. And they also agree that Christianity spread very rapidly throughout the known world. Now this is only 10 authors, we actually see 42, which is an incredible number uh, when you include Christian authors. But a lot of people, a lot of historians, they disregard it because they think they have, they can't be honest because they have an agenda. But there are 42 contemporaries around that age that, that wrote about Jesus from a historical perspective. And to put it in perspective, um, virtually any world leader, if you look at, um, there were emperors of Rome that had fewer than 10 historical artifacts, like people writing about them in their life. But yet Jesus had 42, 10 that didn't even believe he was savior. So let me just address, let me just address some arguments that have been made, at least I've heard, maybe you've heard these as well. Whenever I talk to people who are not believers and we talk about the Bible, there's a lot of people who like Jesus. They might even like the church, but when we start talking about the Bible, they'll be like, eh, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that people don't like about the Bible. And I've heard things like this. No, I like you, I like your church, but the Bible, I don't know. The Bible is full of a lot of errors. Isn't the Bible full of errors? And maybe you've heard that. The Bible wasn't printed until 1455. Everything prior to this was written, handwritten by scribes. So at one time, there was a claim that there were over 150,000 errors in the New Testament alone. And this feels like an overwhelming number, 150,000, until textual scholars get involved. And these are people that understand context and they're looking at the, the original manuscripts. And by the way, there are 5,700 original manuscripts of, of Scripture historically, which is a huge number. So when textual scholars get involved, they started pointing out that the vast majority of these 150,000 errors were actually uh, punctuation or grammar. It wasn't things that changed the message at all. It was, hey, you, they misspelled this word and because the, this transcript was copied again and again, there might be places where one word in one verse is misspelled and it's misspelled in 2,000 transcripts. So now it's not one error, it's 2,000 errors. 
So 150,000 is a huge number until you account for what it's actually counting. So when you look at what critics would call errors, it doesn't change anything about the doctrine of who Jesus is. There is nothing substantive at all that has changed. What we know is we can look at transcripts and and see, um, we can see that 95, I'm sorry, 99.5% of what the New Testament said, we know what it said. There's 0.5 that's a little bit murky. And all the murkiness is, is text, uh, textual, I'm sorry, spelling and grammar. That's all. It's a word was misspelled. That's it. It's easy to look at and figure out, here's where the errors are. Here's what the issue was. And they're not even real issues. There's some authors maybe you've heard of. Homer, Demosthenes, Herodotus, Plato, Tacitus, Caesar, Pliny. They have 2,100 manuscripts written between them with an average gap of 1,000 years between the original document and the surviving copies, okay? So there's a 1,000-year gap between the original document and the surviving copies. 2,100 manuscripts between them. The Bible has 5,700 manuscripts with a gap of about 25 years instead of 1,000. It's reliable. Does it have errors? Well, if you count punctuation as errors, then yeah. If you've written a card in the last week, you're gonna have some errors in that, but it doesn't change the message. It doesn't change the truth of what you're saying. The Bible's full of errors. Another one I've heard is, well, the Bible's been translated so many times. The Bible's been translated so many times, Mel. How can we know it's actually true, that it's actually saying what they meant for it to say. And that's, has anybody ever heard that one before? I have, I've heard it. Um, so here's the thing. When you buy a new car, it's new. They took the last car and they gave it better options and maybe a better engine and better brakes. They improved it. They, they took what they had and they made it better. And this is what we think happens with the Bible. So they have the King James and they're like, man, it's King James, it's okay, but we can improve it. I've got it. New King James, perfect, brilliant, let's do that. And they just take the King James and they tweak it. They make it a little bit better. They're like, you know, the new King James is okay, but what we really need is something a little more modern. I've got an English standard version. Let's just take the new King James and then we'll tweak it a little bit and we'll get this. And we need something a little more modern. Well, how about the new living train? Or how about the NASB? Or how about, and there's all these different translations of scripture. And I talk to people all the time who are like, Mel, I don't know which one to read, which one is true. Because we think that scripture is translated this way that this is how we get new translations of scripture. Let me help you with this. That is not how it works at all with the Bible. So anytime a new translation is released, uh, there is a rigorous process they go through, but they do not take an existing translation of scripture and use that as their starting point. What they do is they go all the way back to the 5,700 manuscripts that we have on record, the oldest manuscripts they have that are written in, in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and they work from that. And they don't just have a guy doing this, they have a team of people. It is a robust event that they will talk about it and work through it and they will argue about the meaning of words in order to get the best possible translation to people. 
But they're not just building off the work of other people. It is not getting so watered down. See, people think it's like the phone game. Do you remember the phone game where somebody would say something and they'd pass it along? It's like a rumor. And eventually some crazy things being said, but it started off as this, it was benign, and now it's something crazy. We think this is how the Bible's translated, and it's not that case at all. Uh, I can tell you, I am confident in the translations of scripture that we have. There's some I prefer better more than others. Um, and I will say this for the record, there's a translation called the Passion Translation, which I will read personally sometimes, but I don't share it with you guys very often. Um, and one of the reasons is, that the man who translated it is, was one man. The process was a little thin from a scholarly perspective for my part. And so I will read it to enjoy it because uh, there are things and ways things are communicated that I appreciate, but it's one thing for me to look at that and understand how that got developed and where it came from, and it's another thing for me to preach it to you guys because the scriptures we use the translations we use have been vetted and worked through and prayed over and talked about from some of the most brilliant biblical scholars you can possibly imagine. So has it been translated so many times? Indeed it has, but every single time they've gone back to the 5,700 original manuscripts. They go back to the source every time. Here's another one I hear, but Mel, the Bible's written by men. It was just a book written by men. Can you believe that? Written by men. God didn't write it himself. Can't trust it. Has anybody ever been to school before? No? We got some issues. <laughs> we, get, we need to get some hooked on phonics up in this mug. Something's wrong with us. Okay, elementary, junior high, high school, college, Yes. Hands, everybody in Blairsville has their hands raised. Okay, yes. Some of you still don't. You were raised by wolves in a cave, apparently. <laughs> so here's the thing. Every one of your textbooks was written by a person. Did you know that? Some of you are shocked. You're like, I can't believe anything I learned in school now. It was written by a person. The Bible was written by men. Did you know that? It was written by men. They, they wrote down the words. They're responsible for that. So when somebody says the Bible was written by men, your response is, yeah, it was. But that's incomplete. Second Timothy chapter three, Paul is finishing his life. He's winding down his life. He's an old age at this point. And he's writing to Timothy, who's one of his protégés, and he's sharing with him and he's giving him wisdom. And he's reminding him of the power of the Bible and scripture. And this is what he says. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Did you hear what he said? All scripture is inspired by God. He doesn't say it's written by God. God inspired people. He speaks into them. He, he could have physically written the Bible if he wanted to. He did that with the Ten Commandments, but he didn't physically write the Bible. He inspired men to do what he was asking them to do. And, and understand this, they weren't stenographers. If you're not sure what a stenographer is, have you ever seen a courtroom drama 
And there's that person sitting by the judge who's like, looks like they're just typing on some weird alien machine, not even sure what's happening, but they're, they are keeping track of everything that's said. They are, they are literally writing down everything that's being said in the courtroom. And that's all they're writing down. They're not texting their buddies or their friends. They're not, nothing, right? All they do is record what was spoken and that is all. And some people think that's the way the Bible is written. And that's not the case. Scripture was inspired by God. He spoke to men, but I also believe he used their personalities. He used their senses, their sense of humor, all, their, all these things to communicate. Because if you look at what Paul wrote versus things that Peter wrote, you can see their personalities. Every sermon I preach, I would like to believe is inspired by God. Uh, not everything I say is inspired by God because some of you have heard some jokes I've made that you're like, that was not anointed when you said that, I know for sure, right? So I get that. But this is the thing. I believe every sermon is inspired by God. Do I speak every word? Like I just repeat the words that God told me to repeat? No, it's inspired by God. So I'm bringing you the word of God, but I'm doing it in a way that God uses my sense of humor and my personality and all these things to propel the gospel forward. And this is the same thing he does in the word of God. He uses these men to, to move the word of God forward. Second Peter chapter one says this. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So he's not just talking about the things they said, but the actual prophetic books of the Old Testament. He said, you must pay close attention to what they wrote for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns the and Christ, the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. These prophets heard from God and they spoke on behalf of God. But they weren't ventriloquist dummies. God used them for his purposes. So was the Bible written by men? Yeah, but it was inspired by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit for these men to do what God was asking them to do. Here's another one I hear. The Bible's full of contradictions. Well, now the Bible just contradicts itself over and over and over. Well, that's not exactly the case. A lot of times this is talked about in specific places with the Gospels. The Gospels are the, the, the recorded the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the record of Jesus' earthly ministry. And there are things that are included in some stories and not others. And there are details in some stories that are a little different than others. And Critics will look at that and say, see, look at that. Look at that. This, the chronology is wrong in this story. They said this happened first, but this happened first. So there's, there's issues, there's contradictions. So according to investigative experts, um, multiple independent eyewitnesses rarely see all the same details and they never have the exact same words when they're describing what they saw. So... They have different perspectives. So there's things that some see that others don't see. And they will never say the same thing about what they saw. That's a red flag when people are investigating things. So imagine this. Imagine if the police came to my house and they were questioning me and my wife 
and they had us in rooms separately. And my wife said, Mel was home at 10 p.m. He got a drink, went right to bed, and he slept till seven. And they asked me, and I said, I was home by 10 p.m. I got a drink and went to bed, and I was up at seven. The exact same language. They'd be like, we're arresting both of you jokers. We know what you did. Like something's wrong, right? Because humans don't do that. That's not what we do. So there's gonna be some deviation in how we tell the story and the language we use. Um, and it's gonna be natural because that's part of it. It's interesting because if you look at the historical record of the Titanic, <laughs> the interesting thing about this is there, there were over 700 people who survived the, the sinking of the Titanic and they interviewed as many people as they could to get their stories. And it was interesting because a lot of people couldn't agree on how the Titanic sank. Some of them said that it literally sank straight into the ocean, that the stacks were the last thing you saw. There were some that said it stood up on end and sank end, you know, on its end. Some of them said, like James Cameron's movie, The Titanic, that it broke in half and that's how it went down. Some of their details were different. Some of them couldn't remember, they didn't see, and so they were going off of what they heard. But do you know what they all agreed on? That the ship went down. Nobody had any question about the ship going down. Now, obviously, that's a little different than the story of Jesus. But just understand that eyewitness testimony is gonna be a little different sometimes. And especially when you take into account that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written by different people with different perspectives for different reasons. Well, let me walk through this with you. The Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew. Matthew was a, a Jewish man. He was also a tax collector. And when he was writing the Gospel of Matthew, he was writing this to Jewish people to show them that Jesus was the real Messiah. So he wrote it from a Jewish perspective to a Jewish audience. There were things that he left out, things that he might have omitted because it didn't serve his purpose for what he was doing. The Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. Mark was a disciple of Peter. And it's actually, he's writing Peter's story. So he's writing eyewitness accounts from Peter and Mary. And, and the Gospel of Mark is a little different. At, at times it feels like it jumps around. Um, and the chronology is a little different than some of the others we see. But here's the interesting thing. A lot of scholars believe that, that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark as one of Peter's sermons, that he wrote it like Peter preached. Now, I don't know if you know this. My mom knows this because she watches every service every weekend. Every time I preach, even if it's the same message, it's different because there are things I might leave out of one service that I say to another. There are, are illustrations I might use. There are stories I might put a little more emphasis on one point in one service than another. It changes from service to service. My wife is manuscript. She will write it all out. Everything she's gonna say, she writes it out and she gets it in her heart. She knows it. She's ready. Her style's different than my style. Mark's, uh, Mark records Peter's style, which I believe is his preaching style, and it makes sense that it would jump around, that it would be a little different than some of the things we see. We have the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke. Luke was not a direct follower of Jesus. Uh, Luke was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. And Luke was, he was a surgeon. I don't know about you, I want my surgeons to be meticulous. If you walked in to your doctor appointment and your doctor was like, now, 
I know we're doing a transplant. What are we, are we taking a lung out of you or putting a lung in you? You'd be like, uh, time out, right? I need a new doctor. Like, I know we're cutting something off. Is it a leg? Oh, we'll figure it out later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's not something you leave to chance. You want somebody who knows the details, right? Luke was meticulous. And what Luke did in the gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts is he's writing and recording the history of the church, the first century church. So that's in the book of Acts. In the book of Luke, he, he is writing a record. And this is for posterity's sake. He wants people to know what happened. And so he's meticulous. He's walking through the timelines. He's talking to, to eyewitnesses like Peter and Mary. And he's walking this out. That's why there's things in the gospel of Luke that we don't see in other gospels. Then we have the Gospel of John. John wrote the Gospel of John for evangelistic purposes. He was writing it to, to help people come to know Jesus. And he wrote it primarily around seven major signs. And these were signs that he wanted them to see that this is proof that Jesus is who he says he is. So there are things that, that he doesn't mention that some of the other Gospels mention. Now, people will look at this and say, oh, well, it's contradictory. Or you can understand that all these eyewitness accounts together help paint a bigger story, the story that's way more important than the fact that this is mentioned here, but it's not mentioned there. And some of the contradiction we see uh, is not real contradiction at all because Paul talks about the fact that women should stay silent in church. But if you've been around Summit, you know women don't, don't stay silent in our church. We have female preachers. And the reason is because if you just look at this, this scripture out of context, you'd go, well, women can't preach in church. But if you look, zoom out and look at the broader context, you go, well, wait a second. Paul had female deacons. The, the first person that preached the, gospel, uh, the, the book of Romans was probably a woman because she was the, the deacon of the church. So... The context makes sense, but if we zoom in to one singular point, it's easy to say, oh, well, it contradicts itself until we understand the context, until we understand the bigger story. So here's the thing. Charles Spurgeon said this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. I love this. The word of God doesn't need me to defend it. All we have to do is let the word of God loose and it will do what it was written to do. Psalm 1 says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, mediate, uh, meditating on it day and night. We meditate on the word of God day and night. Matthew 4, Jesus, he's going into the wilderness says in verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the father. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. He does this two more times when the devil tempts him. He says, no, 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 let me tell you what the word of God says. Jesus Christ, the son of God, actually quotes scripture in his time of need. That's how important it is for us to know the word of God. James 1 says this, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, 
And don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Look into the perfect law that sets you free. We think that the law restricts us, but the law sets us free. Um, years ago, I was youth pastoring in Austin, Texas, and I was able to serve as a, um, oh, I would go into public schools and, and teach a health class. And the segment I would teach was on abstinence and the importance of abstinence for teenagers, for high school students. And it was so interesting because every single time I would teach that class to a new group of students, somebody would say, hey, this is limiting us. This is restricting us. It's keeping us from having fun. Why would we do that? And I would say, it's not limiting you. It's actually freeing you. It's freeing you from the consequences of unprotected sex, uh, from sex outside of marriage, from STDs, from unwanted pregnancies, uh, from guilt, from shame, from all these things that are accompanying that behavior. And sometimes we look at the Bible and we go, man, the law is restrictive. It keeps me from doing what I want to do. And I would say it actually frees you and it frees you from the consequences of doing some of those things that you wanna do. It, it is freeing to live your life according to the word of God. Did you know this? I just saw this this last week. People who read the Bible four times per week, their loneliness drops by 30%. Their anger issues drop by 32%. Relational issues drop by 40%. Your marriage can get 40% better if you just start reading the Bible. Did you know that? Alcoholism drops by 57%. Feeling spiritually bored drops by 60%. These are the people who say, oh, I'm just, it's not exciting anymore. Church was fun. God was fun for a while, but it's not anymore. Get in the word of God. You're not gonna feel bored. Viewing porn drops by 61% for people who read the Bible at least four times a week. I'm telling you today, that is not an issue for somebody else somewhere else. That is an issue for you in this church, not just men, but women as well. Statistically, there's a whole bunch of us in this room that struggle with that. People in Blairsville, people watching online, how do you battle that? How do you defeat that? Get in the word of God. Get the word of God in you. Here's the thing though. Sharing your faith increases by 200%. Why? Because we're confident about the word of God. We've got the word of God in us. We know what to say. We know how to say it because the word of God is living and active and it's active in us. Real quickly, I wanna show you a picture. Maybe you've seen this online. Uh, this is a picture that Jordan Peterson used in one of his lectures recently. And I wanna point some things out to you. Uh, at the bottom of that, you see a line that is horizontal and there are some blocks there. They're light gray, followed by a white, by gray, and those represent the books of the Bible. So the first gray box in the far left represents Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Esther, Job. We could go on and on. The vertical lines beneath the books of the Bible represent uh, specific chapters in that book. So if you look in the very middle of this, you see Psalm 119 that stretches down so far. It's the longest book in the Bible. That's just a reference point, tell you where we're at. The, the, the art lines above it of different colors represent cross-references in scripture, places that the Bible refers to itself. There are 63,779 cross-references in scripture. Almost 64,000 cross-references. The, the colors, the different colors represent how far apart the references are. So the longer the arch and the different the color, that represents where it is referenced. This is a book 
It was cross-referenced 64,000 times in itself. This is 66 books in the Bible, 40 authors, most of whom had never met each other, most of whom had different backgrounds like generals, tax collectors, kings, fishermen, missionaries, doctors, historians. They all had different backgrounds, different experiences. They wrote the Bible in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. There were hundreds of topics, and it was written over 1,500-year span. Think how much our world has changed in the last 100 years. And yet in 1,500 years, they wrote about all kinds of different topics. And there is no contradiction. There is no factual error because it's the word of God. One continuous story about Jesus Christ. The word of God can be trusted. The word of God is true. It should be our bedrock anchor for our lives. It should be how we live our lives and what we measure our lives against. I want you to get the word of God in you. It might be one minute a day. You're reading the Bible. Great, start somewhere. Maybe you're listening to the Bible. Great, start somewhere. Get the word of God in you and it will change your life. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. We're closing out our time. We're going to give you a chance to respond. Love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, maybe you realize I'm not living my life according to the word of God. I'm not walking with Christ. I'm not surrendered to his lordship. I want to give you a chance. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes over this place. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us like you do. And thank you for your word that sets us free. Thank you for your word that is our North Star, that is our, our compass for life. And it's so much more than that. God, it's not just a book of, of rules, but God, it, it sets us free to live the life you dream for us to live. So God, I pray that we would value your word to us in a way that is appropriate. I pray that we would see the truth, the life, that is resident in it. And I pray that we would not just hear the word, but let us be doers of the word as well. Let us apply it to our lives. And as we do, I pray that it would change us. God, I pray that we wouldn't endeavor to defend the word, but God, I pray that we would endeavor to live the word. Because what our world needs more than anything else are Christians who will actually live out the word of God. So God, minister in these Next few minutes, be glorified in it. Now, with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me today, Mel, I know I'm not really walking with God. I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. I wanna be today. I wanna surrender my life to his lordship. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up real high where I can see it. Yeah, thanks, sir, am I right? Who else would say, Mel, that's me? Yeah, thank you. A couple of hands on my left, I see you. Praise God. Who else? Yeah, thank you, up in the balcony. I see you on my right up there. Thanks, sir. Thank you in the center section. Thank you on my left in the back. Praise God. Awesome. Romans chapter 10, verse nine tells us this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer together. We're gonna confess that Jesus is Lord together. But I'm gonna give you the words to pray, but this isn't my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. We're gonna pray this prayer together. Everybody in this place, say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins 
on the cross. From now on, my life is yours. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, Scripture says you're a new creation. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. We wanna help you walk with God. So do me a favor. You can either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then take it to our next step table in the lobby when we finish here in a moment. Or you can simply text Summit PA to 94,000, select the prompt that says salvation and let us know about your decision that way. But even if you do that, I wanna encourage you, stop by the next step table so we can help you walk with God, grow in your faith. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together before we go. And while we're singing this last song, I wanna encourage you to, to find one of our prayer team. They're gonna be up here on either side of this platform. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, don't let fear or shame keep you from getting the prayer you need today. Step out from your seat during this final song. Let us pray for you. Um, why don't you stay in your feet? Before we go, we're gonna sing together one more time. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Make sure you stop by and visit with the Lombardis before you leave today. God bless you guys. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.